webinar, weekly webinar. Um, if somebody can just give me a heads up to let me know if you can hear me. Yes, this is Dr. You. Harrison. Yeah, I can okay, hear you. fantastic. Thank you. Um, and online, can somebody type in and see if they can hear? Yes, somebody typed in. Thank you. All right. I, um, as last week, if you were on last week, I did a little presentation on some stem cell science, and this week I'm going to continue that on case selections and some of the uh, ways that we're using these cells. And I'm certainly going to try to open this up for questions at the end, but while people are still logging on, I can still see people are logging in right now. Um, if there's any questions, if you're on the line, the general format is please, if you're not speaking, keep your phone on mute so we don't hear all the extraneous noise. It's very, very distracting for me to keep my train of thought when I'm thinking. <laughs> and uh, and it's uh, and I would appreciate that if you don't mind because it comes through very loud on this end. And um, if you want to speak up, uh, don't be shy. Any questions, fair game, whether you've done a procedure or not. Um, if you want to talk about a compassionate use case, you want to talk about a, um, a straightforward osteoarthritis case, um, or, or any question really about the stem cells, I'll do my best to help. And if I can't, maybe somebody on the line has some experience with that, and they can share by the end of the talk. So I if anybody two, wants to speak up with a quick question, I'll, I'll address that first. I've got two questions that are compassionate use. Okay. Um, I have a, a eight-year-old um, uh, Anatolian shepherd with um, DM. He's in the early stages, and um, I wondered how the intrathecal injections were were working. Okay, a um, couple questions. Diagnosed with clinical signs, yeah. MRI. And a positive. Yeah. Well, he had a positive genetic test for DM. Okay. I don't think and, he's had an MRI yet. Okay, and he's so you're you, so you got a positive, positive, and he's starting to show early clinical signs crossing yeah, over. Yeah, but he's still maybe. ambulatory. Okay, good. That's the best time to approach those. I am involved in the DM Compassionate Use Study that we're doing, and uh, and I can um, share that. I will give you protocol if you will email me, Mike at animalgeneral.net afterwards. Okay. Um, I'll give you the actual current protocol that we're using. It's just okay. D-R-M-I-K-E at animalgeneral.net, and I'll happily share the protocol okay. with any listener if you're going to be treating a compassionate use case or you have one in front of you. The... Um, I was asked not to give the protocols on the program because okay. anybody, you know, other yeah. uh, competitors listen in and then we give away our yeah. research. Yeah, okay. But it's a, uh, at any rate, the um, so primarily to answer your question, intrathecal, um, epidural, intramuscular in the paralumbar region, intravenous, how are they working? To yeah. date, the best protocol involves an intrathecal injection, an intravenous injection, and intramuscular injections along the um, the uh, paxial muscles or wherever you feel that um, lesions might be present. Okay. And uh, I don't care if you go all the way down, and, and I can give you the actual protocol we're using. Okay. And you do repeat injections on that. Yeah, we're getting okay. the best you. Okay, we're getting the best results on that. Now, there's some people on the equivalent disease in humans, ALS, um, Lou Gehrig's disease, that are claiming with adipose-derived stem cells that they're getting 75% response rate. Um, I won't go that high. We're not getting that kind of response. But I will say this, that um, across the board, it seems to decrease the um, or, or slow down and almost stop the progression, that yeah. across the board. In some of the cases, up in Canada, we had a dramatic response, and that was neuro the ones in the study are, are diagnosed by a board-certified neurologist, and, uh, and so, or else they can't get into the study, unfortunately. And I know us clinicians can diagnose DM most of the time. We know, all know it's a post-mortem diagnosis, but it's a, um, you know, if you've been in this field a lot, you know, rule out everything else and, 
and you get a positive, positive. I know the neurologists that are listening send me emails and say, Mike, that's not necessarily true. I read the research. I know, you know, we're doing the best we can on these diagnoses. So if you're using it for a neurologic disease, say you're wrong. The most important thing is that we don't do any harm. And if right. we're going to be wrong, we want to ensure that they don't have cancer. And I yeah. think that's fairly simple to do. I, you know, that, you, you know, I think we can pretty much ensure they don't have cancer through our yeah. physicals and some good testing. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so the downside, and I explain this to the owners in compassionate use cases, is that nothing will happen. Right. And, uh, and yeah. so the, the downside is out of their pocket. And, and, uh, so it's a, and it's an honest discussion and what our expectations are, but I'll happily share the current okay. protocol that we're using. When I say current, it's the one that we're seeing, um, the, the best results with. Okay. And then my second question, um, we had a, a six-year-old Labrador with um, um, cataracts and um, secondary, the, the PRA, and I wondered, they would try stem cell, but I didn't know if they would cross the blood-brain barrier and if it would have any impact at all since it's a degenerative process, um, and, and we, we've been treating like a um, alopecia X and getting right. hair regrowth. I, I wondered if this might not respond similarly. That's the question that's actually being studied um, in some of the universities. The to answer your question, this the adipose derived stem cells do cross a normal blood brain barrier and an abnormal blood brain barrier. That's been shown, well documented. Um, even the medical doctors agree with all of that. The researchers agree with all of that. So we know it will cross the blood brain barrier. Um, the question is, when you're doing something like PRA, do we put it into the, you know, uh, posterior chamber of the eye? Do we put it into the, um, into the retina? And the answer to the last part is absolutely not. Um, into the posterior chamber, maybe. And, uh, and there, again, we can share protocols on that, but I don't have any studies that are going on that I know of with PRA. Um, if there's any vet that would know more about it than me, I think it would be Dr. Tom Newland out in Arizona, uh, because he's working with a human, uh, ophthalmologist as well as a board-certified veterinary ophthalmologist in some of his cases, um, and, and uh, he did it with some SARS cases, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the uh, sudden acquired retinal degeneration syndrome, and, and uh, had some success in one of those cases, dramatic uh, success, and, and that opened a lot of eyes even on the human side. Wow, so, okay. Excuse the pun. Open yeah. my eyes. But, <laughs> but it was I got a lot of people interested, got our attention, and a and, uh, really, really neat case and, and uh, just an incredible you know, beneficial, compassionate use case. And did but, they um, do so, I, just IV stem cell with that with the um, SARS, or did did they? No, they did IV and they did um, retrobulbar. In other words, they gave it around the eye in the conjunctiva. Hey, oh. Doctor Newland, are you on by any chance? He's usually on the line. He's a busy guy. He's up. You, Tom, you, you are. there? Yes. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, good. Would you share that with her, how you gave those injections on the on the SARS case? Well, it, it changed. At the very beginning, we were doing uh, uh, IV and retrobulbar, uh, and then we switched over. This dog has gone blind since then. Uh, this dog was about 150 days of not being able to see and then able to see. Mm-hmm. So what we did on the last treatment was we did intravitreal, uh, in both eyes, along with retrobulbar and IV. I have not seen a response. I have two bank doses left on this dog, and uh, this dog is pretty much back to where we were 190, 200 days ago. 
So we're saving those last two bank doses to try to figure out a better way to try yeah. to approach this. The second SARS case that I did, all retrovolvar and IV, I got no response, mm -hmm. uh, which is, again, a little frustrating. Both these cases were diagnosed by board-certified ophthalmologists. And then the third case that I've done is a PRA case with uh, no, no cataracts yet. Um, this guy actually came out from uh, Florida, and uh, we just finished our fifth uh, treatment, and I have been doing those intravitreal, retrovolvar, and IV. And we've been at this now for about 120 days, and in this owner's opinion, this dog has not lost any sight, but he doesn't believe that it's made any gain. And the ophthalmologist is pretty adamant that if this dog could see in a year, it would be worth uh, the treatment. So we'll have to see on that case. I did a treatment protocol of five, and mm -hmm. um, we're done with this one. I'm going to see him again before he goes back home uh, the beginning of March. So I'll keep everybody posted. Okay. Um, Thank you, Tom. This dog lives in, in um, Norfolk. And I believe that there is a board-certified ophthalmologist there as well. I guess I could just contact them and see if they'd be interested in in trying it. Because um, th this dog's fairly advanced, and um, he's he's probably going to go completely blind within the year. He still has some PLR, but basically he's already got the cataract. So. Yeah. Not a I'm with Dr. Mike on those. I mean, I think the idea if it's your dog and it's above all, it's not going to do any harm. And we have a possibility of learning information as we go, and hopefully down the line we'll be able to use these cells in a maybe a little bit different capacity. I think all of that stuff that we're doing now uh, will only benefit all the dogs later on. So. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to hurt. We've done intravitreal injections. I don't do more than 0.1 uh, mm -hmm. into the uh, vitreous. Um, they're a little bit different than people, but I'm sure the ophthalmologists that you work with will know that. Uh, and I haven't had any uh, side effects or any uh, ill issues. It is kind of neat when you put them in and you can look with a just plain ophthalmic scope that you can actually see the cells that you deposited. Wow. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. But you were guided by the ophthalmologist the first time, right, Tom? I, actually, I uh, was guided uh, twice, and then she came the third time to watch me uh, perform the procedure. So I was Fantastic. trained by a board-certified ophthalmologist, and I would encourage that. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate it. So, You're welcome. And uh, so if you want to get that protocol on the um, degenerative myelopathy, uh, please email me. I'll gladly share that with you. So. Okay, doc. We'll do. Thank you. Uh, all right. You're welcome. Any more quick questions before I get on to the presentation? Okay. Um, with that, Michaela, could you pull up the presentation so I know people can see it? That's it. Okay. I, she's telling you that you can see this. So. Um, well, last week I talked about the stem cell science, the science behind what we're doing, what these cells are secreting, what the stromal vascular fraction actually is, all of the bioactive peptides that are within that fraction, all of the progenitor cells that are in that fraction, and then the activation process, adding the PRP and the photobiostimulation, and what that causes the cells to do. And it basically wakes them up, they start to proliferate, and they start to secrete a lot of things. And those 
those substances, those chemokines and cytokines and, and exosomes work in harmony to, to do what's needed, whether that means clear up scar tissue, reduce inflammation, and hopefully regenerate or stimulate the body, the endogenous stem cells to regenerate. Um, that's what we believe is going on. So now what do we do? What are the indications and, and how do I go about, how, how did I treat 500 cases? How, what do I say to a client that comes in that has a lame dog that wants to talk about um, stem cells or maybe not talk about stem cells, just comes in with a lame dog? And uh, I've been a veterinarian 26 years. A lot of you that um, have, are on the line have been on many times and know me, and, uh, but I, can, I always see new names and uh, there's a list of names that come up and I always see new names on here and there's a whole bunch of them tonight that I've never seen before. So I'd love to meet you sometime if you're out at the conferences. I'll be at the North American Veterinary Conference speaking on the 20th, January 20th. It's a Sunday evening. Um, and I'll be at the Western Veterinary Conference speaking on February 20th at a breakfast meeting, so, which I think is a Wednesday morning. But at any rate, if, it's, uh, if you're there, please come up and say hello. I'd love to talk to you and share any experiences I can with you and, and uh, just chat and say hello to a colleague. But with that said, what I do is, is uh, obviously osteoarthritis. You know, that covers a whole gamut of diseases. We, we have traumatic osteoarthritis. We have polyarthritis, immune-mediated arthritis, kind of like rheumatoid arthritis in people. And what are we seeing? What are we doing with these cells, and, and are those good indications? And what about hip dysplasia, which is a mechanical issue as well? What about a torn ACL or a partial tear in an ACL? And I think those are all good cases that we should be talking about and consider when we're talking about uses in the, in the stem cells. And those are all cases that I would certainly consider. So osteoarthritis, what do I expect? Now, after treating, I would say out of the 500-plus cases that I've treated and retreated, the majority of these were osteoarthritis. Probably over 375 of these were osteoarthritis cases in some form or another, whether it was traumatic, like an ACL tear with some mechanical issues or, and, uh, you know, resulting in this degenerative joint disease or whether it was just age. Um, in some form or another, I've treated a whole bunch of osteoarthritis. So I've come to expect, I have expectations on what I expect to see when I treat these dogs with um, stem cells, and I share that with the owners, and these are realistic expectations. So I expect that these cells, when I do one treatment on an older dog, a geriatric dog with osteoarthritis, I expect it's going to give relief generally over 12 months. And I see up here it says effective treatment, 18 to 24 months of relief. We had one dog in our practice with bad hips go almost four years before I had to put him down, and I put him down for different reasons in arthritis. We never had to re-inject him, and we had bank cells. And that owner would have jumped at the opportunity to re-inject him, but he was doing well. So from the initial treatment when he was doing very poorly and she was considering, um, you know, surgery for her dog's severe hip uh, joint disease, it was not hip dysplasia, we talked about injecting stem cells, we injected them, and uh, we banked some cells, and we never had to go back and retreat that dog because it was doing well. She didn't want to risk putting him under anesthesia when he was still going upstairs, still getting up and down easy, still going to the bathroom um, easily, and that was pretty neat. Then I've had other dogs where we've come back in, in 12, 14, 18 months and then retreated them again. We've given them another injection. So if I have a dog that's seven years old, I'm going to try to talk those people into banking cells for future use. If I have a dog, that, a large breed dog that's 14 or 15 years old, I'm probably just going to use the cells all at once. I'm going to give them the option to bank them, but, you know, if I'm expecting it to last a year or longer, how long do we expect 
the dog to live. And I know we don't know that. We can't necessarily predict that. But it's a that's my thinking process. Now, if it were a small dog, you know, say a, a Cairn Terrier that's because uh, I have one of my practices at 14, I would happily bank cells on that dog because that dog may very well be alive when it's 17, um, 18. With that said, I treated one of my own dogs at 12, never expecting him to live to be 16 and a half, and he did. And that was pretty neat, and uh, that I gave him the benefit of those cells. So, and I never expected him to live that long, but he got that benefit. And uh, and I, at that time, I didn't have bank cells, and uh, we didn't have the, the technology available to bank him right away. And it was uh, um, so something I just didn't want to put him through surgery again. He could have used a reinject um, about a year later, but I just didn't want to put him through the procedure again, even though he got a year's relief. So my expectations are in. In anywhere from 20 to 60 days, I would expect that these dogs are now going up steps easier or getting up and down easier or sitting and laying down easier and not crashing down and perhaps even going to the bathroom easier. Maybe they can go in one spot now instead of scooting along the lawn trying to because they can't hold themselves up because their legs are too weak. And uh, from the concurrent muscle atrophy that occurs when their joints are bad and they're not using their muscles as much. So... That's what I expect. Now, can I guarantee it? Absolutely not. And I never make a guarantee. I just tell people honestly, in all the cases that I've done, these are realistic expectations. I expect your dog to be able to go up and down steps again. I expect it to be able to do all those things, get in and out of the car again. And if it has neurologic components or comorbidities with those osteoarthritis cases, then my expectations are lowered a bit. I do expect to help their pain. In every case, I expect to help their pain. I expect to help their range of motion a bit, their flexibility a bit, and uh, but I don't tell people I expect to help their neurologic issues. If they're knuckling over and crossing over, I don't tell them that. I tell them that you may still very well have those same signs, and it's going to be hard for you to tell if the dog's doing better. And if I explain that up front and I tell them in day one, for instance, this Monday I'm going in, or I'm sorry, Tuesday, I'm going in to treat a dog just like that. I have two stem cell cases on Tuesday. One's an ACL tear, which is an easy one. I'm going to stabilize the ACL, and I'll talk about that as well. And I'm going to inject that one with stem cells at the same time. I'm going to inject the other knee at the same time, and I'm going to give an intravenous treatment at the same time. And I'll explain the rationale for that. The other dog I'm treating has um, some arthritis, some severe arthritis, having trouble getting up and down. It's an older dog. It's a geriatric dog. And it also has neurologic signs, and it's crossing over. I don't believe it has DM. I don't believe it has anything like that. It's been um, neurologic a bit. It's weak. And the owners still want to go ahead, but the conversation I had with them is that I know I'm going to help the discomfort from the osteoarthritis. I know I'm going to help with the pain. That's what I expect. Can't guarantee it, but I expect it. And in all of the cases I've done, those 375-plus cases I've done osteoarthritis cases with, I've had three failures or three non-responders is probably a better word. And the, and the non-response is nothing happens. I didn't cause any harm, but I didn't get that kind of benefit that I expected to get. And that is the truth. And I'm talking to my colleagues, and if you knew me and you looked me in the eye, you know my tongue would fall out before I would lie about that. That's why I get so passionate talking about these stem cells, because I expect them to help the dog. So now this dog that I'm going to treat, I tell them, look, right now your dog's having trouble going up and down the stairs. He's still going to have some trouble if he's crossing over. He's still going to have trouble if he's having neurologic signs. But I bet you're going to be able to tell your dog's in less pain. And we start looking at things that maybe are signs of pain in the dog, like its inability to want to lay down without crashing. just sits there and circles and circles and stands and circles and circles. And that's been bothering the owner. 
And uh, we did do the, the, the what I call the, the standard of care that we've had up to this time. And what is that standard of care? You know, we try the nutraceuticals, we try the weight loss, we try the, the hydrotherapy, the physical therapy, the osteo or the uh, chiropractic, acupuncture in some cases, and non-steroidals, and sometimes even steroids in some of these cases. And I use some, like I said, a lot of nutraceuticals as well. We tried herbal remedies in a lot of these dogs, laser therapy, class four laser therapy in a lot of these dogs. And uh, and so if that's not working on a geriatric dog, um, we always offer stem cells. At the first discussion, I tell them about stem cells because I think it should be an owner's decision. And a lot of people today are deciding to do the stem cells right away. They'll, they'll leave the, the, the other therapies for later if they need them, but they, they decide to do it. And I'm finding that um, surprising to me that when I give them this whole list of things, I call them my um, a list of things that I do, the, the nutraceuticals, the fatty acids, the things that I like to do, the weight loss is just of paramount importance. It's probably one of the most important things we can tell them to do if they're overweight. And, uh, and, and they'll listen to that advice. And, and, uh, but when it gets to using non-steroidals and using drugs on a regular basis, a lot of them, they want to go to the stem cells. They don't want to go to that, and that's their choice. I explain all of it is available. I'm not pushy when I talk to people. I just tell them, look, I do expect results with stem cells. It's expensive, but we can bank cells and have future treatments. And perhaps down the road we're going to have things that we're treating compassionately now we may have good protocols for down the road, like we're just having a discussion about eye problems or perhaps kidney problems, liver problems, um, other immune system problems, which would be very, very nice to use for internal medicine applications. So we, we, that's how I make my decisions, and that's how the discussion I have. I tell them day one what I'm going to be asking them when they come back on day 30 and day 60 on the rechecks. I'm going to be asking, I tell them I'm going to be asking you these exact same questions, the ones that I'm asking you today, so they know what to expect, and they have realistic expectations. Because the last thing I want, and it's happened to me, and I share this with you, is for the owner to come back in 30 days and say it didn't work, and, uh, and this happened to me. And I said, so a month ago you told me the, the pain was on a scale from 0 to 5 was a 7 plus. And I said, what is it today? And the husband and wife argued between 0 and 1. So I wrote it down. I didn't put my pen down yet. And I said, a month ago you told me your dog couldn't go up and down stairs. Oh, he's been going up and down stairs since 7 days, Dr. Mike, and they're smiling. Then I put my pen down. And I said, but you told my receptionist, Debbie, that this didn't work. And the lady looked me in the eye, as serious as could be, and she said to me, she says, well, Dr. Mike, she says, I saw uh, an owner on television saying that she got her puppy back. And I said, well, that's not what I told you. That's not, that's not realistic. You didn't hear that from me. And, but that's the miscommunication. So I learned from that. So I tell people, I'm going to ask you these, these same questions because this is what I, where I expect to see the changes. And that is very, very helpful to us on those return visits so we can keep the owners focused and not talking about comorbidities and other problems. So, um, so there, when I talk about these things, when I'm talking about um, using these, say, in hip dysplasia, um, we have protocols. Now, if there's any surgeons on the line, I, I, as I said, I've been around 26 years. A lot of you have. There's a lot of that on here that have a lot of experience. And that's why we're turning to a new modality, a new tool, regenerative medicine, because we know that we don't have the panacea treatment out there. But up until this point, and I, and I still am swaying towards the gold therapy for hip dysplasia is a hip replacement. And I, and I think all of you are probably shaking your head, yeah, I agree with that. Now, you know that complications can occur. You know that it's expensive, but it's a surgery. And, uh, but it's a, I still think once that is done and done well in a dog, 
that they're pain-free, and they, they do very, very well. All the dogs I've seen that have hip replacements do incredibly well. And, uh, and I, I can think of maybe two cases, you know, in my career, and I've seen hip replacements since the early 90s. Dr. Ernie Lesser at Long Island was doing it for my patients when I had a practice out there. So it's one of those things that I still would say that's the gold therapy, but I'm starting to, my opinion starting to change, and I'll share why. And it's a case like this. And this was Dr. Tom Newland that was just on um, talking about the eyes from Arizona. This happened to be his case, too. And this was last May or May of 2011. It's almost two years ago when we get to May here. And the dog had bilateral hip dysplasia. I believe it was a two and I don't have the segment here, but I believe it was a two and a half year old child mix. Might have been three and a half years old. I don't remember. One and a half years old. But it had bilateral hip dysplasia, painful on both both hips. So the owner could afford to have both hips done, but the orthopedist said that he's going to do one hip and then wait 12 weeks and then do the other hip. And I think we've all heard that a lot. And uh, and the owner was. Uh, a little bit disgruntled because the dog was going to be in pain on one of those hips. You know, they had to choose the hip. They were both painful. And so uh, Dr. Newland offered to do stem cells in the one hip, and luckily he had a, a colleague, the board-certified orthopedist, that is probably a friend of his, that allowed him to do that, to go ahead and treat currently that hip on the left with stem cells the same day that he was doing the hip replacement on the right hip. And as you can see, that right hip was done, and the left hip was treated, and that was in May. Now, if you pay attention to that surgery on the, on the right hip where the artificial hip was put in, you see those cerclage sort of wires there. Well, look on this one. You see some screws underneath it and some more cerclage sort of wires. Well, what had happened is that dog had subsequently broken that leg after the surgery. So he went through quite a bit of trauma. And, uh, and this was in September, three months later, when they brought the dog back to I don't know if you look closely at that left hip, but this was before. It's a little uh, magnified view. And this was after. Before, after. Same view. You can tell that it was the same view. Um, the orthopedist words, as Tom said to me, was, oh my. Um, this dog was out of pain in this, this left hip and out of pain in the right hip, thank goodness. So the, the surgery worked eventually. And, uh, and the stem cells worked, so this dog was out of pain. Tom, if you don't mind, I'm picking on you tonight. If you don't mind coming back on, how's this dog doing today? Boy, I would say our connection is horrible. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I thought that was just my phone. I apologize. No, it's, 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 I mean, at times it's good. But anyway, uh, this was actually a two-and-a-half-year-old uh, lab chow mix that uh, we did surgery in May, and then uh, we're going to do the other hip six months later, and that's when we decided to do the uh, stem cells. But anyway, this dog is doing so well, and she's a school teacher, that we are going to, uh, we're going to do this dog every year. I've done this dog once since then on just coming back and doing uh, cells over in the uh, un-surgical uh, leg. And uh, we're going to do every year because we have bank cells, and she's just happy. This dog, the, the, the litter mate that is absolutely normal, and uh, wow. you can't tell. She, you, she said you cannot tell between the two, and they run and play. There's connections better. Uh, okay. They run and play, do well. Um, and I would say I agree with you on the gold standard part, Mike. I mean, I, I, I think that that's very real. I think something like... You know, you can get complications. I mean, certainly uh, luxations are, are one of the complications. But, 
you know, I think it's gold standard, but I'm starting to um, – yeah. you know what? The one that I'm interested in is the possibility on those dogs that are young enough, like at uh, 12, 14 months, to do TPO, yeah. uh, triple pelvic osteotomy. One yeah. of the downfalls on those is you can correct – uh, the placement and get it more mechanical, but the issue there is is that down the road they usually get some pretty severe arthritis and you're kind of forced on either a hip replacement or an FHO. Right. And, but I but I'm wondering to do a TPO along with cells to decrease the likelihood of arthritis down the line. Now you don't have to worry about any type of mechanical, uh, artificial. Uh, problems that can happen it's the dog's own hip and socket so anyway just just for thought on the tpos because you know we don't do a lot of those anymore because those dogs three four five years down the road they get some pretty severe arthritis and then they're even more painful that's exactly right and i don't know if um some of the younger vets that might be on the line are even familiar with that surgery it used to be fairly commonplace um, back in the 90s, we used to see it quite a bit, and I haven't seen it in a long time because of what you just said. Down the road, they do very, very well mechanically. We rotate that hip back down again with that stepping plate, and then it's uh, so mechanically it looks good, but then they get severe degenerative arthritis down the road, and you're exactly right. Then we're talking about a hip replacement or an FHO. The, well, I, I'm starting to change my mind on that gold therapy. I, I'm being very conservative when I say this to you. I have now... 14 cases of hip dysplasia that were all candidates for a hip replacement that have been treated with stem cells in lieu of the surgery. And in every case, I'm not talking them out of the surgery. I'm telling them that, you know, the gold therapy, if you can afford it, that hip replacement works. And it's very, very good. Obviously, there can be complications. But in every case, it was either economical, and where it wasn't economical, it was either like Ohio, I'm, I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A lot of people go to Ohio State University for the, te- or for the uh, total hip. And Ohio State veterinarians told them, or the orthopedists that saw it, would say, listen, um, your dog needs a bilateral hip replacement, and we would start as soon as you get 25 pounds off the dog because the dog weighs 140 pounds, and, uh, and the poor dog is army crawling. And that is one of my patients. And when I treated that dog, they came to me because they wanted to know if I thought the stem cells would help, and I hadn't treated a hip dysplasia case up to that point. They asked me, because I told people, listen, this is a mechanical problem, and I'm not going to correct that with stem cells. I'm not going to correct that malformed um, socket or head of the femur. But I, I said, they said, would, would it help the pain so that we can get the weight off the dog so we can do this? And I said, that I believe it would do. And I said, I think that's good rationale. So we went ahead and, and treated that dog. We, we got some bank doses on it. 17 months after I treated, well, let me go to two months after I treated. She, this lady lived in Baltimore. She went to Ohio State and uh, for her college, her undergraduate degree. So she went there for her dog, and her mother lived in Pittsburgh and knew me and said, hey, Dr. Mike does stem cells. Maybe that would help, you know, your poor lab. Well, when she came up to me and we treated the dog, two months later, I didn't see her at 30 days because we, we had a blizzard in Pittsburgh, and she didn't want to dare that drive, and I didn't blame her. But she came back at 60 days. She said, Dr. Mike, the dog was already almost 25 pounds lighter. The dog was running around like a, a lab should. And this owner was so happy, she just started crying when she saw me. And, uh, and, I, and of course, it, you know, every veterinarian that's listening knows that feeling when you're in the exam room and an owner's crying tears of joy. That's something that's very, very um, nice, and I'll take every day um, in, in my practice life if I can have it. But that, that was a true story. 17 months after that first treatment, we had bank cells on that dog. She said, my dog started to 
um, cry a little bit on one of the tips. She didn't wait till it was army crawling again, so we retreated it. That was in July of 2011. Now we're going a year and a half, you know, well, July of 2011, so a year and, what is that, five, six months, so a year and a half later, 18 months later, I still haven't retreated it. She always emails me. Well, now I have 14 cases going, 14 cases of hip dysplasia that are similar. In every case, and I'm talking to my colleagues, in every case, these dogs are responding to the treatment. We're not making the hip better. I mean, we're not making the, the mechanical issue better, but we're helping that biologic issue. Obviously, we're helping the pain. We're reducing some of the um, the, the, the trauma that comes with it or, or the after effects of the trauma that comes with it. And uh, perhaps we're reducing some of the scar tissue. Now, I'm not doing a study on this. I'm just treating these dogs, giving the people full disclosure that the standard of care, in my opinion, the gold therapy still is that hip replacement. But I'm starting to question it now because most of these dogs, we get quite a few bank doses on. But this is the classic case. If I'm going to treat a hip dysplasia dog, why would I treat that without banking cells? I expect that I'm going to have to retreat that dog down the road, and I want to be ready for that. I don't want to have to do surgery again. So in a case like that, I'm talking to people into banking cells. I actually include that in my discussion. So that would be a discussion and a, and a use of cells um, that I would be I probably wouldn't want to do it if they didn't bank cells. I mean, I would if it were a real old dog, but we're usually not dealing with hip dysplasia in a 14-year-old dog. We're dealing with it in the younger dogs. And so that's the, um, th so that's the, the advice I give around the hip dysplasia cases, that if you're going to do that, you can talk about it, offer the standard of care, offer all of those things that we know about and should be talking to that owner about, and give them one more option, regenerative therapy. And, and I'm not doing it any differently than I treat degenerative joint disease in the hip. I'm injecting those hips with the same amount of cells. I'm giving an intravenous injection and, uh, and banking the rest. And, it's, uh, and we're getting those results. And that's very, very rewarding to me as a veterinarian, and I know it will be to you too. So um, I sh have sh um, shared that, those stories with a lot of people now. I'm actually excited to do hip dysplasia cases because I want to do 30, 40, 50 cases and share those results with you. I'm right now 14 for 14, and I'm not bragging. I'm just sharing it with you, and, uh, and that's a good feeling, and it's something that I want to share. And as Dr. Newland um, explained earlier about the PRA, we're doing the groundwork. We're doing the bottom of the pyramid. Maybe we're up to the third rung in some of these quick cases now, and uh, we're getting closer to the top, and there's a lot of studies that are going on right now, and, uh, which is good. But it's, uh, that's the work that we're doing, and these are, we're clinicians. At the end of the day, clinical response is what we're interested in. I knew for two years when I was going out speaking to my colleagues that these clinical responses were dramatic. I knew something good was happening. And I also knew that if it was lasting for a year or longer, that it was more than a Band-Aid effect. So something had to be going on where it was reducing scar tissue or regenerating tissue. Something had to be going on. Even though we didn't understand exactly how it was happening, something good had to be going on. And now it's being proven that that is exactly what's happening. And, uh, and it's really rewarding to, to have been sharing that for two years, and now we're getting the hard science. And as I speak in, um, in January at the NADC and in uh, February at the Western Veterinary Conference, I'm going to be presenting studies, double-blind studies, that are going to be very, very exciting. And after I present them there, I'll present them here on the, on the webinar as well. So what do I do postoperatively? One of the most common questions I get from colleagues, Dr. Mike, what do you recommend? And that, uh, well, Therapeutic laser, no therapeutic laser for six weeks post-op. Why is that? Because we don't want to change the microenvironment of the joint if we're treating a joint because we don't know what it will do. 
the stem cells are repair cells. They know what to do. They're like guided missiles. They go in and seek out inflammation and start doing what they're supposed to do. That, those bioactive peptides that we're in, uh, injecting in there, they have microbicidal activity. They have, there's macrophages. They have immunosuppressive effects, um, T-suppressor cell uh, modulation. They also have apoptosis regulation. They can stop cell death. It's pretty neat that they know what to do and we don't have to tell them. We inject them and, and they're, they're kind of the, the general contractor after that. We just get them into the local area. So let's not change that environment yet, that microenvironment yet, until we know what that's doing and the work is being done. But right now my advice is don't use therapeutic lasers for six weeks. You can use it up until the time of surgery, stop it for six weeks, and then you can start using it again if you feel it's necessary. The, um, and that's the recommendations coming from some very prominent researchers, and I share that with you. And that's the advice that's coming from me until we have further information. And then, of course, we start the physical therapy right away. Leash walking, maybe the first 24, 48 hours you need some um, ice packs on the joints. They might be a bit sore from our injections. Um, certainly, we want to do hydrotherapy after the suture removal if you can, if you have access to it or if they swim. Um, any kind of physical therapy is good. And if they're disabled dogs, then we have to get the owners showing them how to do the passive range of motion. They need to use those muscles. They need to use those joints so those stem cells know what to do. They took rats and their laboratory animals and rabbits, too. They went in and they mimicked the trauma to the joint after they injected stem cells. All three, um, all three of the sets of animals got, um, they, we, they created osteoarthritis. This was in rabbits with an air gun. They, they caused traumatic osteoarthritis. Then they injected stem cells into the joints. In one set of the uh, animals, I think it was eight or ten rabbits, they, they mimicked the trauma caused by walking in that joint. And the next one, they mimicked the trauma caused by running. And then in the third set, they didn't do anything. They just left it alone. They didn't do any physical therapy at all. In the two where they mimicked the trauma from walking and running, the stem cells went to help repair or stimulate the body's endogenous stem cells to repair the cartilage. They actually repaired the, the osteoarthritis that was caused from the trauma from the air guns. Where they did nothing, it didn't repair the, the cartilage. It went to the supporting structures and the surrounding structures. So we need physical therapy. It's very, very important, and I like to share that with everybody. And then how do I measure that improvement? Well, I see these patients. Remember I told you 20 to 60 days is when we generally see the repair. Of course we get a potent anti-inflammatory effect from the PRP and some of the um, anti-interleukin-1 receptor antibodies that are in these are secreted by these stem cells and this pool of cells that are in there. We get a very potent anti-inflammatory effect in three days, four days, five days, maybe seven days. But that's not the repair. The repair I expect to see is 20 to 60 days. So I like to see these dogs around day 30 and day 60. And then I'm doing what I said to you before. I'm asking them the same exact questions every time. And I tell them that's what I'm going to ask them. And then I see what they think, how they feel. And, uh, and I can tell you, I love talking to my colleagues. If you haven't done these cases yet, I always tell people, just let me give you that Dr. Mike challenge to do your first case. Just trust me to do one and uh, do good case selection. Stick with an osteoarthritis case. I know I was speaking to a veterinarian earlier that's doing some compassionate use cases. Those wouldn't be my choices for my first cases. I know a lot of you have a lot of faith in what we're saying, and, uh, but it wouldn't, uh, you've got to see this for yourself. You've just got to see it. Every colleague should see what we're seeing, why we get so excited about this regenerative therapy. And, uh, and if you didn't see this story, there was a veteran, I just share this because it, it goes right along with what we're doing and about talking about degenerative myelopathy and Lou Gehrig's and things like that. There was a, a war veteran from Afghanistan. He was uh, decorated, and he came back home, and he was on an ATV accident, and he was paralyzed from the upper chest down. 
This was in 2007. They injected him this year, or at the end of 2012, with adipose-derived mesenchymal stem cells. And uh, it was done by a, a boarded radiologist. They directed him directly into the lesions, into the spinal cord, into the areas. He's moving his feet for the first time in five years. Now, obviously, there's more work to be done. There's more treatments to come. But what a story, not just for that individual, that, that, that war veteran, not just for him, but for his family and everybody that knows and loves him, and for us, too, because we're really part of this. You know, this is one medicine. We're, we're doing this in animals, which is helping to push the research. And, uh, and I just like, love sharing stories like that because when I read that today, it brought a tear to my eye because I could only imagine with that family. Oh, my God. I, you know, you can only imagine. So 30 and 60 days, that's what I do. I talk to them. You see the questions that I ask up there. And, uh, and that's how I measure it. And we have these charts that Medivet provides. They have them on their website, and they'll send them to you if you're having trouble pulling them up or tell you how to access them. I'm sorry that's a small print there, but it's just range of motion, flexibility, pain, and you scale them at day one, day 30, and day 60. And uh, my daughter's going to try to make that bigger, I hope. Thank you. Well, it's a little bit bigger. I think as I get on to some of the uh, other ones, so you can see it's just questions, and it just gives you something that you can have in your chart to chart their progress. I recommend you do this, and I pray that you'll share these with Medivet so that we can compile thousands of cases, not just, I mean, tens of thousands of cases, so we can improve our protocols. We can decide, is it better to come back and re-inject in 30 days after some of these traumatic injuries, or is one injection enough, or should we use more cells, or should we come back with PRP two or three times afterwards? There's a lot of questions that still need to be answered to improve and, and, and uh um, you know, perfect these protocols. But this is medicine, and we're practitioners, and so we're, uh, we're starting to uh, go. Now I can't get this to move. Okay, I have to go back to the small print again here. Okay, thank you. My daughter knows how to use this stuff. I don't. Um, so this was a case of uh, Dr. Boyne Voynich, a, a good friend and colleague of mine and ours, uh, out in New Jersey at American Animal Hospital. Um, he said, Mike, he sent this digital radiograph over me. He said, this poor dog is uh, not walking anymore. And uh, he says, they're thinking about putting it down. The whole family's crying. And he said, uh, you know, do you think stem cells will help this? And, uh, and you, you know what I'm thinking. How do I know? I, you know, you look at that, and he was asking. He has more experience than I do. And uh, he said, you know, we just were talking to each other. I said, boy, Brian, I'd hate to hear. I, I wouldn't put my dog down without trying. Just knowing what I know, I, I, you know, I would try. I'd take the fat. But obviously it's going to come at some cost. So he did it at cost for these people. And uh, and the end of the story, here you go, Golden Retriever. There's the daughter, and the dog was walking. Actually, this dog was walking. Seven days later, I have a video of this dog walking. Um, it was real neat, and, and just to hear the owners and their joy. Um, this is a colleague's dog in South Carolina, is it, Michaela, or Tennessee? Um, she's saying she doesn't know, and I don't know how to get it going. If you just be patient here, we'll get this going. If you haven't seen this, um, I think if you go to the smaller... Okay, here you go. I think she figured it out. Okay. Nope, maybe not. We might not be able to play this video for you. That's, that's too bad. It's a veterinarian's dog that did a before and after of his own dog. It was their first case. Um, Hillcrest Veterinary Hospital, I think it was. And uh, some of you down south might even know this colleague, Hillcrest Animal Hospital. I don't know why we can't get the video working. Dog on it. Well, at any rate... Um, one of my talks, I'll, I'll show this, I promise. We usually keep it running. Um, it's just a neat case of a before and after of, I think it was a German short hair pointer or some kind of bird dog. And, 
and uh, and it was uh, they were showing it, trying to get up, trying to go up their steps in their home, try to get in their car with the family there. You know, and the dog would wag its tail, and they just couldn't do it. And then they showed it. I think it was 20, just 27 days or 28 days later, it might might have been 23 days later. I can't remember the exact post um, video after the treatment, one treatment, and the dog's going up and down the same steps doing the, the activity so much easier with the tail wagging, getting in and out of the car um, very, very easily. And the veterinarian that filmed that um, gives you his assurances as a colleague that there was no tricks here. He wasn't giving, um, you know, medications afterwards where he didn't give them before. This was the last resort to them. He wanted to try the stem cells in his dog because his dog was so painful and getting up and had severe osteoarthritis. And it's just a good good video to show what I see routinely in and those of you that are doing a lot of cases are seeing as well. I think uh, Dr. Newland has done I probably close to 90 or 100. I'm not sure exactly how many. And and uh, I was out there when he was doing the first uh, uh, technology with Medivet. I was out there at his uh, clinic out in Arizona and just had a wonderful uh, day with him. And, and uh, where we got to meet and uh, you know our, our colleagues and friends now. And and uh, and I just uh, I, I just laugh. We have the same stories, you know, as we see these animals improve. And so we are trying compassionate use cases on animals, and we don't always get those results. We're not causing any harm, and that's the most important thing, but we're trying to help other diseases as well, and, and, uh, and there's a lot of studies going on that, as I'll go over with you here in just a minute. Now, I wanted to make sure I left some time for you. So partial tears and cruciates are one of the biggest questions I get. What about a cruciate? Um, well, I do a lateral imbrication. I use Securos technology. I graduated in 86. I had done uh, cruciate repairs with the vet that I first worked with in 86, 87, 88. Then I was doing them on my own since then. He did a lot of them, so I've always done them. And, and the ones that were overweight and obese or, or real large, I referred to the specialist, and they would do whatever procedure they use. Some of them used um, TPLO. I guess that's maybe the last 20 years. But some of them used TPLO. Some of them used over-the-top procedures. And uh, some of them used the TTAs. And uh, now some of them are using those, uh, those uh, the what do you call it, the uh, tightrope procedures. And, uh, but I'm still using Securos in stem cells, and, and uh, to me, that's, it works beautifully. And I had done so many surgeries. I probably have done close to 2,500 cruciate repairs in my career. The, I had done so many of those before the stem cells, and I can tell you without any hesitation that the stem cells enhance the repair time. They decrease the repair time when I say enhance it. And, uh, and, and a lot of my clients have had, a, a, you know, the dog's back for the second ACL. And the first time, we didn't do stem cells, or we didn't have stem cells, or they went someplace else. And, and so on this one, they're using the stem cells. And you've got to see them and listen to them when they come back in 30 days and 60 days, their comparison from before and after. And, uh, and it's just dramatic. And so I love doing stem cells. Like I said on Tuesday, one of my stem cell cases is an ACL tear, complete tear, with the and I'll do the securos. It's a, um, a smaller. It's about a 70-pound dog. It's not real big, but it's um, it's, it's it's not a real heavy dog either, which is good. I mean, not a real uh, overweight dog. I think the body condition score was about a, um, a six out of nine, five to six out of nine. So it's not a nine out of nine, and uh, making it even more difficult. I'd rather get weight off of those dogs. But at any rate, what I do is I go and do lateral imbrication. I used to go into the joint and clear clear out the joint. I'd cut out the you know, remnants of that cranial cruciate ligament. And I checked the meniscus to see if it was torn or sticking up in any way, the medial and lateral meniscus. And, and, uh, and I would uh, remove the bucket handle if it was torn. 
Well, now I'm not doing that. I'm just injecting. I'm doing the lateral imbrication without entering the joint, and I'm injecting the joint. There is um, not just theory. There is evidence that these stem cells in this stromovascular fraction that we're using, when we inject it in the joint, is helping to clean up that area so that we don't have to go in there and mechanically do it ourselves. And it's cleaning up these joints, and it's doing a good job, and it's returning. It's reducing the inflammation. It's reducing the scar tissue. And, uh, and certainly helping with the mechanical problems that would come. But I still do believe cruciate should be stabilized. I think that that mechanical rubbing is going to cause um, advanced degeneration over time, and I think that's just common sense. So it's, um, it's your choice. If it were an old dog, would I do it without doing the stabilization? Maybe. I've done that for people when they, you know, asked me to. And it, they were sedentary dogs, and they've done well without me doing the stabilization. But a young dog, I wouldn't even consider it. I would just tell them, you know what, rather than do just stem cells alone, I'd rather do stabilization alone on a young dog, especially a young lab, you know, just because they're going to be running and hopping and they're going to keep re-injuring it. And, uh, and so my recommendation on those dogs is to do stabilization along with the stem cells. I do it at the same time. I collect the fat first. I usually get it behind the shoulder blade. Once in a while I go to the linea if it's a real thin dog. And then I go and, and uh, you give that to my techs. They start preparing the cells. Then I go down and I stabilize that knee. We wake the dog up. Two and a half hours later when the cells are ready, I give a little bit of sedation, light sedation. Sometimes the dogs, I don't even need to do it because we have them on painkillers and, and they're fine with a knee injection. I prep it at the time of surgery, and then we give it another scrub. And, uh, and I'll inject that knee, or both knees, and an intravenous after that surgery. I do that routinely, and that's how I do it. I get asked that over and over. Do I, do I come back two weeks later? What about the incision? Aren't the stem cells going to go to the incision? We're putting in tens of millions of cells into these joints, and we're giving them intravenously. Yes, I guarantee you some of them are going to that injury that we created with the surgery and that inflammation, and it's going to help heal it. So so what? And uh, it's a, uh, I, I don't mind that, and I'm getting very, very good results with that, and so are others that are doing it. So it's not just me. On the partial tears, that's a, that's a more difficult one. You know, do you talk that owner into doing stem cells? Well, if it's a young dog like Panzer here, 15-month-old male bulldog, you know, they have loose knees anyways. With this poor dog, you could see the effusion across the room. It was that swollen. His right leg was getting atrophied. It was four months of non-steroidals and nutraceuticals, and uh, they weren't doing a good job getting any weight off of him. But it was, uh, he was just limping nonstop. He was just limping, limping, limping. His leg was, thigh muscle was getting atrophied. And I finally talked them into doing a study with me on the stem cells, so I did it at cost because I wanted to see if the stem cells would help this partial tear. So I did not stabilize this joint. I injected the stifle with the stem cells. We banked cells on this dog, and this dog is, is uh, excuse me, no, I didn't bank cells. We didn't have the technology uh, at that time. So, But I, when I treated him, you can see here on the 30 and 60 day, no more pain, no more lameness. There was no more effusion. This dog is coming up on, on three years this um, July. I see him usually twice a year, so I've seen him quite a bit. He's doing fantastic. They haven't gotten any weight off him. In fact, they put weight on him, unfortunately, against my advice. But the, the dog is doing fantastic. He still has a little bit of laxity in that joint. I told him I still expect that he'll rupture this one day, and then we'll have to go in and collect more fat if we want to treat with stem cells. And, uh, but he hasn't yet. He's doing fantastic. So it's a, uh, um, uh, so now I, if we can't help that, that, uh, um, that partial tear with some PRP and some, you know, anti-inflammatory therapies for a short period of time with R&R &R and maybe some laser and, and hydrotherapy and the like, non-steroidals as well, 
I will go to stem cells happily because I expect them to have good responses. Um, so we're talking about the mechanical and the and the uh, uh, biologic issues, you know, cruciate ligaments, uh, hip dysplasia. Those have a mechanical component to it. Malformation of the joint in the hip, and uh, and sliding on the on the cruciate tears. So I'm just very honest when I speak to everybody and speaking to the owners. So postoperatively, I use, as I said, no therapy laser for 42 days. I use ice packs as needed, first 24, 48 hours. Physical therapy immediately. I encourage it. And uh, non-steroidals and tramadol will not affect the proliferation of these stem cells in any way. So after we inject those joints, they can get painful um, from those injections for a few days. Um, I encourage them to take those. I encourage them to use them. They're not going to be on as many non-steroidals as they would have been without these therapies, that's for sure, and uh, especially in geriatric dogs. I'm not afraid to use non-steroidals in a dog. I'm here to try to reduce their pain and improve their quality of life, and that's what we're all here for. And then I recheck them. Generally, my standard is 30 and 60 days. And, uh, and then um, once in a while, I'll have them come back in 90 days if I'm still looking for results. My experience is that most of the results I see are within 60 days. I've had a handful go out to 120 days. They say in humans you'll see results up to six months. I haven't seen that in dogs. I, I, for me, it's been 120 days is the longest I've gone out. Um, if I didn't see it in 120 days, and in three cases I did not, um, I, I just didn't see it. Okay, this was a Polish Tetra Mountain dog. I'm losing track of time here. I probably should get to questions. 853. Okay, I'll go over this case. This was an ACL tear. This was owned by a, a, a cardiologist that came three hours to me. The one owner, the wife was a cardiologist, a human cardiologist, and the husband, they wanted to do stem cells. They had two Polish Tetra Mountain dogs. I caught them, you know, the, the Pyrenees and insulted them. And But at any rate, when we treated this dog, this dog was – um, very lame on his leg. Um, obviously, you can see he's a big dog. And, uh, and I told him I'm going to do lateral imbrication. Their specialist up by them set a TPLO. And I said, that's a good procedure, and it will probably work. And it will work, you know, well in my experience that I've seen with the, the, at least with our orthopedists in our area, they do a very good job on the TPLOs. And I said, so if, if you um, elect to get that, it will probably work. The nice thing is, is when I do the lateral imbrication and the stem cell, and even with banking, the cost comes out to a little bit cheaper than what the uh, local surgeons are charging for the TPLO. And, uh, and, and that is, is uh, tremendous for, for a lot of these dogs because we get to treat them with the lateral invocation in the stem cells, and these are the kind of uh, results that we get. We see them out of pain in 30 days, 60 days. Um, now, this one still had stiff gait. Now, this was an old ACL when I saw it. It was about six months old. They waited for me to get the stem cells and this technology. I also treated another dog of theirs, Harnas, with um, elbow dysplasia. He had an um, ununited ancomial process removed when they lived in Boston by a specialist, and the dog had severe elbow dysplasia. It was like four years old, so we treated him too. And this was the letter I got. Now, I know this is all anecdotal, but we're all smart people, and so are the owners. They have these dogs. They can certainly tell you when their dogs are doing well. And you don't have to read all of this. They're talking about... Some of their neighbors had spent $5,000 on their dogs to get the TPLOs, and, and they weren't doing as well as their dogs. Uh, Bakus also had the OCD in the right hot joint. I forgot to mention that. We treated it, and, and, uh, and that one resolved on its own. We didn't have to do surgery in that joint. I told them that we might have to go back and do surgery. We didn't have to because that one seemed to be painful after trauma. So we wanted to try the stem cells to see what would happen, and fortunately that one was a home run. That dog did fantastic. And uh, But... They talk about how well their dog's going, and if I'd like to ever videotape their dogs again to show the after results because I videotaped them once, they'd be happy to come. 
Well, this was in May of 2011 they sent me this. I treated Bakus a year earlier, and I treated their other dog, Harnas, in July of 2010. And, uh, and at almost a year later on these dogs, they were still tickled with the results on their dogs. And, uh, and that's pretty cool. Here's some of the compassionate use cases that we're doing right now. Um, there are more. I just mentioned these because these are the ones that um, we're doing, you know, more uh, more numerous cases in, which is good, and it's several veterinarians, not just me. And, uh, and I'm not involved in all of these studies. I am involved in an anatomy study, which is neat, and I'm going to share something with you on that. And this is what they're doing in humans. The type 2 diabetes I get asked about all the time is showing some very good promise in humans. I actually get to talk to the doctors. I sign some non-disclosures, and there's a lot of good news coming out with diabetes shortly on and stem cells. And, uh, and this is just the last case I'm going to show you before I get to this anatomy case. It was just an older dog that had DJD in the hips but also had severe allergic dermatitis. Not atopy, just allergies and severe otitis. And, oh, by the way, Dr. Mike, when this dog came back at 30 and 60 days, this dog isn't itching anymore. This dog's doing a lot better, not shaking her head anymore. Um, this dog ended up going three more years. Um, she was 13 when we treated her. She went three more years was put down, still going up and down stairs. She was a TV star. They came out and they videoed her beforehand. She couldn't go up the steps. And then 30 days, they actually came back in 21 days. She was going up the steps. So here's the atopy case I wanted to show you. Before and after 30 days, one intravenous treatment on this dog. This dog is four and a half years old, had been on the standard of care for atopy, and I called the standard of care medicated baths, steroids, and, and uh, antibiotics. They tried uh, cyclosporine. I don't know if it was atopica or, or mixed gel. I don't compo compounded. I don't know. Dermatologist diagnosis. They did skin biopsies and skin testing. Diagnosed with atopy. We've seen these. You see them all the time. Four and a half years old. This is how the dog was doing. We did stop the steroids for four weeks. We kept this dog on medicated baths and antibiotics throughout that time before the surgery. I took it right above that linea there in the Felsform area. There's a very small window there that I could use that didn't have actual staph lesions on it. And, uh, and I took some fat out of there. And this was the best I had seen the dog. They came back 30 days later for a second treatment. You can see that dog was 90% improved. These owners were hugging me and shaking. And this was a last resort case on a four-and-a-half-year-old dog. Would you offer this to somebody if they're thinking about putting the dog down? Um, this isn't my only case. This isn't the only case, but this is the one that I recorded. I'm sorry, there was one more case. Doctor's dog, uh, bilateral progressive calcification, supraspinatus tendons, tenosynovitis, and IBD since eight months of age. This is a therapy dog, extremely painful, owned by a veterinarian. We did a protocol on this, treated it three times. Up at, on the top, you see the calcifications, the supraspinatus tendons on both sides. At the bottom, you barely see it on the right shoulder, which is on the left on this x-ray, and on the left shoulder, you can't see it anymore. Dog is clinically sound, and by the way, it's no longer on PRED for the IBD. She had a low-dose PRED for IBD since it was a puppy. Every time she took it off, bloody diarrhea. And uh, pretty happy. She told me, veterinarian out in Long Island, that she was going to treat that dog every six months for the rest of its life. And I said, why? She said, because I'm never going to let my dog get in that kind of pain again. And I get that. I don't know that it needs it every six months, but I get it. So I'm not going to go into horse cases right now, but um, let me open it up for any uh, closing uh, questions, if you have any. Contraindications I'd like to just talk about. Um, certainly do your cancer pre-screens. We don't treat dogs with um, malignant cancers and uh, don't recommend it for any kind of malignancy. And real severe infections. I showed you that at a P case. That's an exception. That's a compassionate use. 
but we would recommend treating the infections before you do the, the uh, stem cells. Any questions, comments? Um, there's my email. If you want to email me with, uh, for, for a case or if you can come on here, I'll share all the information I can with you. Well, I, we have a whole bunch of attendees that logged on tonight. I want to thank you. I, I'm sorry I talked that whole hour just about. Thank you, Dr. Newland, for joining in and, and sharing those cases with me and letting me use those slides. And, and uh, um, you're, you're a true colleague <laughs> and uh, brother in arms. So I'll, uh, um, I hope to see you all. I'll be back um, next week. Yep, I'll be back next week. And then the following week, I, I'm not sure if I'll be down at the conference. I'll let you know next week. But I'll be back next Wednesday night. Um, have a great week, and any questions, write them down, bring them to the, to the webinar, and, and ask away. And, uh, and if it's really urgent and you're doing a case, ask your distributor. If they can't find out an answer, please email me, and I'll do my best. I know you understand I, it's hard to handle a 1,000 emails, but I'll do my best to answer you right away. And if I don't answer you in a day, send it again. You're not bothering me. I just didn't get to it yet. So, but I do my best to answer those right away to colleagues. All right, take care. Thank you very much.